Celtics Reddit Podcast, Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. On the pod today, Dan Greenberg, a.k.a. Stool Greeny, who covers the Celtics for Barstool Sports. Greeny came on to discuss reactions to the Mavericks game, KG's jersey retirement, the pain and the tragedy of Celtics fandom, and a lot more. Celtics Jay and Wayne Spoonie are on the call. Let's get into it. All right. Yeah, we have a special guest here today to keep up with our tradition of having guests only after losses. The man with the best headlines in basketball, Dan yeah. Greenberg, a.k.a. Barstool Greeny. How you doing today, Greeny? I'm doing well, guys. What's going on? Not much. Just, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to recover from the Mavs loss. And also we're talking about before we started recording, Greeny, that the, the KG retirement ceremony was a, a bit of a soothing balm, I guess, to help us recover from uh, what was otherwise a brutal loss and continuing the uh, tradition of, of losing games when we decide to, to raise numbers uh, to the rafters there. Let's just get start with the Mavs game here. You know, an unfortunate loss. Should should Celtics fans be worried, though, in the sense that in this Mavs game and specifically the way that they defended the Jays, is this a precedent for what we'll see in the playoffs and potentially the Jays being shut down and not upholding their standard of productivity that we've seen so far this season? Yeah, I mean, I think really this whole turnaround, you've seen the defense on Tatum is you trap them and you make them pass. And I think that's not necessarily like the Mavs are an elite defense, so they are obviously effective and then limiting your secondary players. But <clears throat> the idea that Tatum's going to be doubled is, uh, is something I think that dates back to the bubble and what the Raptors did to him in that series. So I trust that he'll be able to handle it. It's just going to come down to who of your secondary scorers are going to be able to be a consistent scoring threat to where you have to get you have to get out of that defense the same way in this game against the Mavs the Celtics kept doubling Finney Smith was making threes he was cutting you know for dunks so they had to switch it up so they went back and forth <clears throat> i think that's what you have to do so that Tatum can get opportunities to score for you because every single team is going to hard trap him as soon as he crosses half court yeah i mean it was crazy it it really truly is the second the man walks past half court, he the double yeah. is coming. It's nuts. So as you know, we're the Celtics Reddit podcast. So we have a Reddit post here. Uh, user Prodigy Gamer seventy five says, "I never want to hear someone say JT is too selfish ever again." Mm-hmm. Do you feel like he's done a better job passing out of doubles? And first of all, I always thought the selfish label right. was pretty mm-hmm. unfair, but. Do you think he's done enough to quell that thought for even the gravest doomers amongst us? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a narrative. I mean, you'll still hear it every time they yeah. lose, but on ninety-eight five or yeah, the people who <laughs> yeah. watch him as a player, you can see just the growth. It started in the bubble of how he was just seeing advanced reads at a fast speed, and he could make the pass. You know, he knew where the secondary defender was going to be. You know, and was just on point, dating back to the bubble. I think the issue is, you know, what are they going to do when a defense is taking the ball out of his hands? Like, what's the option? I mean, you're going to have, do you, 
if Jalen isn't going to be able to drive to the rim and score, like what are your what are right. your offensive options? It's Marcus Smart, hopefully driving into the paint or knocking down threes. And I just think that's the worry that we saw is like it's a very real possibility this team can go four minutes without scoring. And sometimes that happens yeah. in the last four minutes of the game. I mean, they went the last almost three minutes last night. Yeah. You know, for five, didn't score. So, I mean, that's that has to be a concern just because we've watched them play. And that's how they lose is when they just can't generate good offense. Jay, did a little piece of you die when they left Marcus Smart wide open at the free throw line and he just passed the ball instead of shooting? <laughs> so full transparency, and this wasn't the spot that I wanted to get outed on this. I didn't catch the last game, man. So I, I was actually oh, no. saved having Ooh, to watch some brutal. of the heartbreak. Now, hold on, hold on. Before people start like, you know, overreacting, just to be fair, I took my kids roller skating. So like I felt like I was doing like, you know, like Yeah. It's it was an early Very game. Wholesome. What do you want? You know, like that's when the skating rinks are open. I'm just trying to be a good dad. <laughs> Loser. But, I do think smart, <laughs> but do you think smart? Do you think smart didn't shoot that because he missed the earlier 15 footer? Yes, a hundred percent. No way. Yeah. That's never. He'll never admit it. I think that's. No, I wouldn't. think that's exactly. If you watch it in real time, you, you can see he's like, oh shit! Like yeah. I just missed this shot two possessions ago. I can't be the one that shoots it. Yep, and then yep. he throws it to a covered Jalen, and the rest is history. Yep. Uh, there's another comment here that we'll get to from from Reddit. Actually, it's a Reddit post. This is from user Semi Schwojale, who says, uh, <laughs> "Have a little patience with Derek White." And it's a long post, so we'll just summarize it a little mm-hmm. bit. Basically, shooting poorly, probably due for some positive regression this season, mm-hmm. but will almost certainly look even better. With an offseason. Do, do you see longevity for Derek White on the Celtics? And do you see him starting to turn around some of those? Because Spoonie, um, he has his own podcast now. He's, he's really raising up in the, in the right, ranks yeah. in the podcasting scene. <laughs> he put out an episode yesterday about how Derek White is essentially, among other things, really hurting the offense currently. Do you I see um, a pathway mm-hmm. for, for Derek White to improve in, in that facet of his game? Yeah, I think there are aspects of his game that certainly help the offense, right? When he catches the ball and makes a quick decision and touches the paint, he's, you know, a a plus offensive player. But at the same time, to succeed in this offense, you have to hit your open jump shots. That's like, that's the name of the game. It's what really limited Al when he was in that valley for like, you know, two and a half months when he just wasn't making those safety valve threes, the pick and pop threes, like... You have to be at least around league average to be a all-the-time positive offensively. Like, in terms of him and his ability to run the pick and roll, like, I trust that. I trust his ability to play make. But there are spots, and we've seen it over the last two or three games, where, like, he has to make that hockey pa- – when he gets the, the hockey pass assist, you know, when he's, like, the third guy and he's in the corner, like, that's the one you have to make. And that's the one that Grant – has really made consistently this season. And that's why you can play him down the stretch of games. I think until he can find some, you know, he's shooting in the twenties from three, I still think, you know, so he has to at least, I mean, he's, he's essentially a Marcus smart. Like what did we always say about Marcus smart when he was able to hit his jump shots, it changes who he is as an offensive player. Now look at him. He's shooting, you know, league average on open looks and he's, you know, you want him on the floor at all times. So that's just, he just White has to get to the point where he can hit consistent open jumpers at a league average rate, and that changes everything. 
I just want the record to show to Marcus Smart because I'm sure he listens all the time. I don't Big care fan. if you shoot Big sub 100. Me neither. That's the thing. I, like, I will play you every minute of every game. Exactly. <laughs> this this like, is my love letter to Marcus Smart. But Sign don't Celtics J. But don't you feel the same way? It's yeah. like, I don't really care that Derek, yeah. as long as Derek White is taking charges, blocking shots, and moving the ball, like what I get from him in his limited action, like is gravy. As long as he's touching the paint first and shooting threes second, like I'll live with it. Cause he's only going to be playing maybe 20, 25 minutes a night. And I, I like the pace that he sets too. Like he's, Definitely. he's one of those guys that really helps keep pushing the pressure. Whereas I know a couple of us on this pod, uh, shout out Joe would bring up all the time. Dennis Schroeder, for example, he would just like walk the ball up. Yeah. And just like watch the ball. Say, like, Hey, we all paid For to no watch reason. y'all with the ball. Like, why are you just watching the, what's, what's happening here? Um, yeah, and and you you'll never see that with white. That's why they traded for him. They picked a style, you know, that was best suited to, you know, maximize their best players. And with that, he has, flaw, you know, if he was a lights out shooter, like the Spurs wouldn't have traded him. So it's like, he has right. some, you know, he was on the market for a reason and he was available for a reason you just have to hope that he can make the shooting jump that someone like Grant did. He's not this bad at shooting. Like he's shooting twenty six percent on the seas. That is god yeah. awful. He's but he like was shooting twenty two percent on you know from the corners on the Spurs. He was only shooting twenty two percent. So did it's not like, know that not great. It's like how the Spurs got caught with the numbers. Ah. Yeah, like that, it's crazy. I mean, but you would think that just the law of averages of an NBA caliber player yeah. who has shown an ability to shoot in like the low thirties would not shoot 22%. Well, in kind of thinking about this though, because we're talking about white and white really is a player that seems to solidify what our bench or second unit is essentially going to be going into the playoffs. And so I wonder Greeny, your thoughts on who are you the most worried about going into the playoffs or, or who is it that you're kind of, you'd prefer to see? I know for me, I'm hoping we get Philly for all sorts of reasons, um, mostly personal and just wanted to see our guys shut them down. <laughs> but I, I want to get your, your perspective and take because that's been kind of a hot topic lately. Ooh. Everyone's talking about yeah. the positioning and seating. I think you're an idiot if you think any first round and any first round matchup in the top six is easy, I think is an ill-advised way to approach it. Um, even if you want to say the Cavs, because, you know, Al, let's, I'm imagining he'll be back by the playoffs, but let's just say, I mean, they had one of the best season, you know, they had a positive net rating. They have one of the best defenses and they unleashed three, seven footers, you know, that are hard to match up with in a playoff series. So, um, I don't think there's any cakewalks. So for me, it's just, I fear more that we're going to see a 2015, 2016 repeat of Isaiah's first year when they lost to the Hawks, he was their only offensive option. And they said, we dare other people, we dare you to make jump shots. And like Kelly Olenek shot 30%, Smart shot 30%. It was awful. I fear that. I fear a team, because I think any of the top six teams can do that because they all have, you know, pretty good defenses, right? Whether it's Milwaukee trapping with Drew and Giannis or, you know, Philly with, you know, Thibault and Maxi, whoever, like every team you face is going to be able to, you know, double Tatum the same way that Isaiah was doubled in that playoff series. So I fear more of like how the Celtics will do because at their peak, at their potential, they match up with every single team in the East. Like that's like when, when they play to their 
fullest. Tatum is a top five guy. Brown's an all NBA talent. Like they can hang with anybody, but it's those games where it's like, all right, if they're not, if they're not getting that secondary boost and teams are just able to take Tatum out because he's, I mean, let's not pretend like he isn't, you know, allergic to going seven for 20. So, you know, you can take him out at times and that's just, that's my biggest fear that when things slow down in the playoffs and teams can bully him, that you could see a lot more of a series like what we saw with Isaiah's first year. Isn't that kind of the insurance that we have with Jalen Brown, though? Because that's the one thing that that Isaiah that's team didn't have. Yeah, you would hope. And I would think so, right? Jalen's a proven playoff performer. Um, I just, I worry once you just get past those two. I mean, Al, you sort of know what you're getting, but Rob is more of a clean it up, you know, type offensive player. Um, I just... Yeah. I'm just really nervous that you're relying on inefficient and inexperienced players to be that supporting sort of wave once you get past the top three options. In terms of targeting a potential matchup in the first and even second round, like it's no secret that the Celtics struggle against high caliber internal defense. So like Jarrett Allen, obviously Joel Embiid would be uh, huge detractors for us in, in that situation. Is it fair to say like we should therefore be targeting, if it's even possible, teams like the Nets, like the Bulls, where we could go at Not Nikola the Vucevic? Nets, man. Hold on. Y- y'all are crazy. For a fan base that's so obsessed with all the like superstitions y'all keep bringing up all the teams we can't po- listen if no, you're gonna avoid not, anyone you gotta not. avoid chicago <laughs> chicago's the one team that target the nets <laughs> i mean i don't know <laughs> i even like you think we think chicago might be the best matchup because you know they're 0 and 14 against you know the good teams blah blah blah. but like they're still gonna throw out three all-stars and two good perimeter defenders in caruso and and uh, and um, Lonzo Ball. So it's like, you know, they're not going to be a layup. Oh, as long as we get Chicago, we're uh, a guaranteed into the second round. So for me, I'd say it's more just I just wouldn't want to pay play Kevin Durant for as long as I possibly can. Yeah, he's the best player on the planet. <laughs> nah, bring and him on the first round. Bring it on. Bring it on. I mean, let, let, if, let Tatum get him get him out of the way. It's fine. I'm, not, I'm just saying, like. I've lived that life and I know what it's like to try to stop a healthy Kevin Durant and like that can be someone no, else's problem. You know, I respect just, that man. Just another Thursday for Greeny. I respect that man. Like he when he's decided like you've had enough it's over yeah. for you, like he's an alien. Um but other than that, like I don't know. I think Milwaukee's gonna be underrated now that they're getting Lopez back. I think they're gonna be tough. They have good interior defense and Giannis is like you know, until someone knocks him off, he's still the defending, you know, finals MVP. So I don't know. I just think it's I, they're probably going to get, you know, they'll probably finish four or five, I would think, um, because I think people are going to try to dodge that, you know, top two seed to avoid Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Celts will probably end up four or five. And, you know, it could be anything from Philly to, you know, the Bulls and they're going to have to play well to beat all three of them. Let me put it that way. Like there isn't an advantageous matchup. You know, you might have the best, you know, player on the floor in a couple of those matchups, but like then they're backing it up with two other all-stars that you only have Jalen and then like a super sub in smart. So it's like, once you start going talent for talent, I mean, when's the last time you saw the Celtics block out, block out Nikola Vucevic. Like he's all he does is kill the Celtics front line. So it's like, 
Yeah. You would think, okay, the Bulls, but then you're not even thinking about Levina DeRozan because you can't even stop Vucevic. So I don't know. I just think all, all every seating is going to be tough. I don't want Philly for the simple fact the games would take like four and a half hours and be terrible mm-hmm. to watch as Harden <laughs> and Embiid just kind of walk to the free throw line every possession. Yeah, but just That's for the only like, reason. The Celts have games where they've limited, you know, obviously they haven't played the two of them together, yeah. but. You know, they do – nobody defends Embiid as well as this team does, and I think that has been shown. Mar- Marcus Smart is a super starter now. So let, let me <laughs> let me get uh, a, a quick response from you on this then. We're talking about the playoffs. I tend to be the eternal optimist, but mm. let's just say things don't go great, and, and given all of the enthusiasm we have over the last couple of weeks, last month, if not a little bit more now – what if things don't go really well and we flame out in that first round? What are your thoughts going into that potential offseason? Like, what would Brad need to do? Would it? Would that be like blow it up, big change time, or just like no, we still just need to tinker, get this thing kind of right? Well, I, mean, I think it depends on how they go out, right? Like, if they lose in seven to Brooklyn in the first round, like is that a is that a blow it up type of situation? No, but I think. If they lose in like five to the Bulls or something, or five to the Cavs, like that's a much different discussion. But I think regardless of how they finish, their offseason needs are the same. They need shooting. They need a long-term replacement for Al Horford. They have a 17 million trade exemption and they have expiring money, you know, and then the non-taxpayer. Like, all right, you didn't pay the tax. Well, guess what? It's time to start paying the tax and using your tools to do it. And I want them to do that if they win the title. And I want them to do that if they get swept like in the first round. Because right now, sure. you don't have a long-term solution at the four, you know, unless you think it's Grant. And you got to start thinking about, you know, his extension and what those numbers look like. You know, if he's going to be part of the future. So, you know, their offseason is like, is not even really dependent on how they do, you know, over the next two months for me. Yeah, uh, shifting a little bit now, you know, obviously we had the KG retirement, the Ooh. Jersey retirement ceremony last Ooh. night. And Greeny, you had a really good article recently on how, you know, KG is really important to to our generation and how he yeah. sort of acted as the conduit between the glory days of the 80s and prior and, and the current Celtics fan generation. And Ooh. part of that retirement ceremony was this really nice moment where Ray Allen was given a shout out by KG do you hold any lingering grudge towards Ray Allen as no. you know, how the fashion of how he left? And, and if so, did KG squashing the beef in that fashion help you to sort of close the loop on that yourself? So I have always lived by the rule of like, whatever Paul, whatever the players decided, like as long as they had the beef, I would have a beef. If they squashed it, yeah. I squashed it. Because, you know, you look back and it is it is a little ridiculous, but I can understand why yeah. we all felt that way 10 years ago. Um, but I do think Two that, <laughs> I do think that, you know, what Kevin did in, in that ceremony was like the official, this is it. It's over. We're never going to, we're not going to have to deal with like any viral screenshots of like, you know, handshakes or anything like that. Like, I think everyone can now look back. And I think also he knew that if, you know, Ray was ever one day going to go up there that like KG could put the pressure on and. You know, Wick would never entertain it if they were still beefing, I feel like. So, you know, I think maybe that was reason for it. But uh, I'm just glad it happened because you forget, like, how insane that was to live through. You know, given what led up to that run was just 
like my entire life was basically failure and, and awful basketball. Yep. And like, I would look, I would go to the garden and I would look up and I would be like, I can't imagine ever having a player during my era have a number. Like all I'm hearing from my parents and all these old heads around me, you know, my whole life is how, oh, you'll never see anything like Bird. You'll never, you're like, you guys can't even understand what it's like. And like, that was true because we were watching teams that were winning like 25 games a year. And 30 games a year. And it's just like, I'm believing in players that are just like so embarrassing now looking back. And it's just like, that's what we knew. Easy. I mean, it's true. Like for every embarrassing player, there was always a J.R. Bremer that would give us like a silver lining. The amount of championship dream that I put on David Wellesley's shoulder, like it's not fair to him. It's just not fair to him as a point guard. Like that's just not who he is. And like, here I am at nine years old being like, David Wesley's taking us to the chip and it's just like, <laughs> it never yeah. happened. They barely won 35 games. Yeah. Ben so, Baker was the missing piece. Yeah. Whoa, so like, easy. Easy. That was, those are different times. Those are, that was an even different squad than the David yeah. Wesley team. I know. Oh, yeah, but it's, so now like people get mad because they we go didn't like get Vin Baker. We got Jin Baker. It was a yeah. real different, real different guy. It's like people go, people get mad because they go six and nine in December. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like my whole existence is the one dark period of this entire franchise. So to see, (laughs) to see Pierce and Garnett go up there is like, I can't even, it really hasn't even hit. Like now for the rest of time, I'll be able to look up there and be like, I didn't get one. I got two. And like, even if I don't get another one for the rest of my life, that's crazy. You kind of, you more coming. There's definitely one more coming. I think there's two. I think there's two. I think there's two. I think there's, well, maybe three. I think there might be three. (laughs) (laughs) You you almost hit on this, Greeny, but I know you, I I think we all know Ray isn't going to get retired, but do you think he should get retired? And do you think Rondo should? Because I don't think Rondo is either. I think. I want to know if you think so. I think if you're not putting up Rondo and I can see why you wouldn't, then you can't put up Ray. Yeah. I think I think you got to choose a non like a non Celtic from that big three era. <clears throat> you got to choose between KG and Ray. And obviously, given everything that KG did, the culture, just the mentality, he gets the nod. And I think Ray got like the shout out at the ceremony. Like that was his like that cheer interruption was like, all right, that's your moment. Because I don't think I think five years, obviously there are extenuating circumstances, but I don't think right. five years in a title is, is enough. Uh, I th- for me, yeah. like when I did the, the top 75 team uh, or the top 15 team for the Celtics, my cutoff was six years. So I didn't pick like a Tatum. I didn't pick anything like that um, because for me, it's like you had to win a chip. You got to make the Hall of Fame and you got to be there for six years. Like Garnett punches all those tickets, you know, he punches everything like that. So it's hard to. That's a big ticket. It's, I mean, it's (laughs) it's not easy. I mean, not everybody did it. And I think that is a good place for me to like cut it off to say, you know, yes, there are going to be some like Rondo didn't make the top 15 Celtic team. So like I can understand why you wouldn't want to retire his number. So if Rondo doesn't get up and he's a Celtic fucking legend, like I can't see, I can't see Ray getting up. 
so there's a thread, you know, corresponding with the, the Ray mm. Allen moments last night. And there's a suggestion on that thread from user Lizzie who said, maybe not a Jersey retirement, but perhaps a Ray Allen night at TD Garden where he's honored. Yeah. That, that could work. Like, wonder, I wonder if they can do it like on the anniversary, he broke Reggie Miller's record or something, you know, because that was a home game. Just versus nose, whatever. There's just something like, but at the same time, I think maybe like I would be okay with if last night was all that he got, like, yeah, that you know he had a pretty cool moment. Like you still did leave for LeBron. Like I didn't forget that, but you know I just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's okay that the beef is squashed. I think. Go retire your jersey in uh, Miami, guy. I know, and it just sucks that he hit the biggest shot in like NBA I know, finals dude, history to like, lock LeBron's <laughs> championship up too. So painful. <laughs> Uh, I was talking to Spoons off air before we started recording that here in Australia for for cricketing legends they they don't re- obviously raise banners to the rafters first of all because they're open roof stadiums but they they do things like name stands after players so like you'll get like the Donald Bradman stand or the Shane Warne stand because there's there's such depth to Celtics law and there's so many people that will never be able to celebrate celebrate to the extent of raising banners for them mm-hmm. should we consider something like that in Boston where there's I don't know like a street you know in a somewhere in Boston or a stand in TD Garden like the Ray Allen stand? Is it something like that that we could maybe link towards? I think you'd have to be here for more than five years and win one title to get something like that. You know, like you you start going out into the city, you're talking like Bill Russell statue. You know, you're talking like iconic, iconic stuff. I just think, you know, maybe you just have it. Um, I don't know. You send like every season ticket holder a commemorative, like you know, plaque or something. Beer? I don't know. We could have like Here's, the Ray Allen Lager. You're like, or you know, like, like he gets invited to like the season ticket holder meeting to, as like a meet and greet or something. I don't know. Here's what yeah, we do: right. we name one of the side streets after Ray Allen, but it can only be a one way street, and it has to be going to the leaving. dentist. <laughs> yeah, right. It has to be points directly to Miami. It has to be heading <laughs> south. Yeah. <laughs> um. What was the better moment in terms of current players interacting with um, now guys whose whose jerseys are in the rafters? JB dunking over Kleber last night and dapping up KG, or yeah. was it Jason Tatum splashing the clutch three and dapping up Paul Pierce a couple of years back? I think it has to be the three. I just because yeah. <laughs> I just think because like Pierce went on to the court. Um, I just think like I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll change my mind if I see like a way better angle of the the KG dap up. Because there's something to be said about, like, an unbelievable clean poster, like, right in front of KG on KG's night. Like, I can understand that appeal. But the Tatum 3 and Pierce, was I, like, I blacked out. I mean, that was that was a different – because for me, like, Pierce is my all-time favorite Celtic. So, like, that's – Yeah, same. Yeah. Just because I see – I see Tatum breaking like all of Pierce, you know, he's going to be the one that's going to be getting up with Pierce's records in Celtic history. So, you know, there's more of that like franchise guy on franchise guy, like energy. The KG and, and Jalen one is like their energies match. It's like KG's fiery, you know, Jalen's screaming, like their energies match where Pierce and Tatum, it's like, yeah, we're the fucking franchise dudes. We're the ones that are like carrying the weight of this whole thing. So I have to go his history. Sure. And you can tell that Paul buys into that whole that whole deal too. Like he knew exactly what he was doing when he oh, yeah. when he dapped sure. Tatum going by. Like he knew exactly what that moment was. And yeah. I, there's something I think you're right. Like I agree with you. There's like a certain kind of just subtle magic to that that I don't think can get outshone just because of the nature of it. Because 
it is like Paul handing the keys over because right. he, he he's he was he's the guy that had them to hand over. Like, right, they're his to hand over. Yeah, right. <laughs> like the the dunk was the more impressive play, sure. but the Tatum moment was the bigger moment. Yep. And that photo is like so perfectly it's framed and I yeah exactly it's that's like I mean, Boston lore man <laughs> I know that's why I'm hoping I, I every day I'm like every couple hours I'm like checking Getty I'm like give me hopefully someone is like uploading a better like the other angle of that um but I haven't seen it yet of the dap <laughs> yeah I just want to see it because I just feel like KG's face is going to be so intense um but I just yeah. haven't seen it one of the things that I know I was really excited to be able to, to talk to you about is um as someone that avidly follows you on on twitter um maybe because i'm sorry (laughs) listen i've only got like 14 people that i know on twitter you're one of them so um but what i really appreciate is one of the things that i talk a lot about or at least share my thoughts on a lot is is the dynamic between what seems to be kind of a growing polarization between the fan base you've got like one side who gets accused of being doomers (laughs) <laughs> where they're focusing on like the realism or the realistic and, and really kind of focusing or running that through a lens of being like critical and skeptical. Mm-hmm. And then you got like the other side that kind of get labeled as the, the green teamers that are always getting accused of being too blindly optimistic, right. uh, you know, in the it, costing, you know, being realistic or reasonable. And so I guess, you know, my question just from what I've kind of seen with some of the conversations you've been having on Twitter is, do you <laughs> find yourself leaning any one way or the other or, um, you know, maybe on a more macro sort of sense, like what are, what's your feelings on like your take on fanhood and, and how folks are kind of relating to the players and the teams that they're, uh, that they're following? Uh, I mean, I think I, I generally lean positive. I mean, I think that's just, but at the same time, I feel like I'm willing to acknowledge and talk about things that aren't working or don't work. Uh, I just think where, where things get blurred is like, we live in a world where a certain narrative generates attention, right? So it's, yep. it's easier to fulfill that role to garner attention. And oftentimes the people who are garnering that attention, you know, don't back up their argument with as like, they're not as bigger picture thinking, right? So yes, the Celtics are playing 500 basketball. Yes. That deserves to be criticized. They like, those people who then feel like that is the thing that then has to dictate their future instead of stepping back and looking at why they may be playing that way or what are the contributing factors into playing that way. I think that's where the disconnect is, right? Because if you are willing to do that, you get labeled as a green team or excuses, blah, 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 blah. If, but at the same time, you can't sit there and say everything the doomers are saying, they're not making it up, right? They're not pretending like the Celtics are collapsing down the stretch. They're not pretending like ISO ball is like the death of this offense when it matters most. So I think the fact that they just, there isn't a need, like nobody can find a common ground, I feel like. And when you do yeah. try to find a common ground, you, the fact that you're showing any sort of positivity gets you lumped in with a group of people that say they can do no wrong. Well, it's like, well, no, I'm talking about what they're doing wrong. I just don't think it means you have to give up on a 25 and 23 year old. I just don't think it means you have to break up a core that when they play together actually are way above 500. And now we're seeing it, you know, now that they've had two months of good health. So I just think where we were in the, in the early part of the season was just the frustration of the last year and a half COVID, the underachievement, 
you know, the fact that like, you know, they had their two best players, but they didn't, you know, they didn't achieve to the level we thought during the year for a wide variety of reasons. And then you had a playoff series where three of your five starters got hurt and you got out in five games. So then you start the, the next season and you lose two games, like right off the bat and double overtime. Next thing you know, you're three games under 500 and, you know, you play for this city, you're going to hear about it. The same way that now that they've turned it around, we all love it and we think they're kings. Like that just comes with it. I just think there's the resistance to have a middle ground, I think, is the biggest problem. I do definitely think you lean more optimistic, Greedy, oh, but I don't. But I don't find anything you say like offensively out of touch for optimism. I mean, most of the time you're just like, look, that's kind of true, but here's the stats that show it's not totally true or something like that. Right. And people really seem to hate that about yeah, you, which I makes so like, I don't not, know. Not, I love not it. like most I don't know. Not most I love people, the conflict. <laughs> but you have like this weird contingent of people who like no matter what you say will just yeah. attack. Like why does that happen? <laughs> I mean, I think part of that is just the internet. I think part of that is yeah, just fair <laughs> I think part of that is, you know, there's a Barstool element, I'm sure. Which yeah. is just like, that's just weird to wrap my head around. Cause like, <laughs> that's just a website, you know, like we're no right. different as people on the same app, like whatever. Um, so I just think it's all part of it. Part of it. I think they know I'll like eat the trash and, you know, waste half. I mean, this is what I do for a living. Like I'll waste my day on Twitter doing it. Like you're the I'm one getting paid for world. it. Yeah. So, so I think that plays into it. I just, <clears throat> everything that I tweet or say, I just want to be able to, prove it and to back it up right so like if i'm gonna talk about an issue with tatum and brown i'm not gonna say oh they're not even best friends they don't like each other and they have to be split up like that doesn't make any freaking sense to me why can't we talk about the basketball reasons and what they're doing you know on the floor that can maybe be adjusted you know to help open up their playmaking or whatever the issue might be like i just that's the stuff that bothers me and like i just can't like, I always make jokes of it of, like, you know, when people would say, oh, the Celtics lost because Brad Stevens didn't motivate his play. Like, no. Like, that is not a real thing. So, like, every time the Celtics sort of laugh at like, I hope he may use the motivational speech. Like, it's just not a real thing. We can talk about what they're actually doing on the court right. to, you know, evaluate them. So those are the things that I just, I just have to – and I don't know. I think people love stats when they're negative and hate them when they're positive. That's just – the basis of I it. feel that man well, I totally the get biggest it. story coming out of the the Dallas game was that Ime Udoka stopped being the coach of the month during halftime in that game so yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. but I think he like, should go back to doing being coach of the month again that was where I know right? right like he just he, what happened to the score more points idea like that seems like it's not he, a hard concept guys no. <laughs> like Score yeah. throughout the entire fourth quarter, all 12 minutes of it. So. And Greeny, I think you brought up another good point. And I think ultimately for me, this is where I, it always kind of comes back to for me in most conversations I have with folks where you've got a lot of people that started following this team either again or for the first time post-2008, like mm-hmm. when the team re-legitimized itself. and. Yeah. I think when you've been a fan and you and you didn't drift to other sports during like the the mid late nineties early two thousands, you just have a certain like you you know how like when you start working with like an actual knife you start building that callus or anyone that plays guitar you get like those calluses on your finger like I feel like we got 
fan calluses. I mean, listen from those I mean, from those two decades I mean, of just like yeah. harsh, harsh times. We had, listen, yeah. Greeny. You remember we had to root for like a, a squad getting rolled out there of, of Dave, like David Wesley, Todd mm-hmm. Day, Dana Barrows, D Brown. Like I don't think anyone on that lineup was like over six three, six two. No. And now listen, to, you know, <laughs> yeah. Joe, like, what do you know about the Joe Forte era? Like, come on, oh, like, what do you know about the, like, that was Red's pick, though. I know. And like, listen, I turned thirty-five. I turned thirty-five in a week, right? For half of my life, like, like the last fourteen years of Celtics basketball are literally is literally the best fourteen-year stretch of success that I have ever yeah. seen in my entire life. You know, from 1987 to 2022, like from the moment KG arrived, the 14 years of my life before or whatever, you know, 18 years of my life before then, dog shit. (laughs) Absolute dog shit. They're in the finals. They're in the finals. (laughs) They're a perennial playoff team. They have the quickest rebuild in the history of rebuilds. Like that just doesn't happen in the course of a normal NBA fandom. So, like, I'm sorry if they're playing a little under their potential for two weeks when I've, like, committed to Jim O'Brien. You're like, I'm sorry. It's just a different – we're not the same. So, like, I, like, we're not built the same. I just don't know how else to, like, think about it because, like, yeah, it sucks. And I hate when this team goes five minutes without scoring. But I've also relied on Kendrick Brown to be, like, my lord and savior. So I, just, I just can't – yeah, it's just how I view it. This man is You've preaching. That's just how it is. Preach, just, man. Preach. Like, like we're all Reddit, get out and make that meme happen. happen. Like we're all, like <laughs> the same way that my parents and my uncles and everyone in my life was like, "You think Paul Pierce is good? You don't know shit. Wait till you see Larry Bird." <laughs> oh, and I'm me. like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> Paul Pierce is going to be one of the best Celtics ever." And he's like, "What are you stupid? Yeah. He can't win thirty games." And that was our life until Kevin Garnett arrived. I was born in 87 as well, so I'm Same. very familiar with the first yep. half of my life being shitty from a Celtics yeah, perspective, which is it. my entire perspective. Um, you touched on something interesting there uh, a second ago, Greeny, where you said that um, people used to criticize Brad Stevens in that he couldn't, you know, quote unquote, motivate the team to <laughs> to shoot above league average from three or to win a game or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, I think uh, among a large portion of the fan base, the general consensus is that um, Ime Udoka is able to motivate them, but it, it seemed like you were sort of suggesting that it's more about Ime Udoka's coaching acumen and his X's and O's uh, yeah, that think- are the reason for the Celtics' success. So, what is your elevator pitch to somebody? Because I find myself in this conversation all the time, and I'm mm-hmm. unable to convince them. What's your elevator pitch to somebody? You know, your floors coming up, you're about to step off. What's your quick summary of why Udoka is actually a good coach and is a reason for the Celtics' success uh, in these recent months? So, I think it's not uncommon that young NBA players respect coaches that played in the league, right? I think that there's a brotherhood aspect of that entire world that we will never understand because we have never done it. And I think just the fact that somebody has done it right off the bat, like you can have the best basketball mind in the world and everyone can listen to everything that you say, but just how they naturally view you and relate to you is going to be different because you're not going to know what it's like to have the ball down two with, you know, 10 seconds left. But, you know, Ime is. He's going to know what I'm thinking in that moment because he's lived it. And I think that's why you saw Smart, Jalen, and, you know, and Tatum sign off on this. They had that familiarity with him on Team USA. So they, you know, knew that, hey, 
you know, this guy knows what he's doing. He's, you know, we relate to him. We like him. We think he can work. And maybe I don't, I wouldn't put it past them. Maybe they looked in the mirror and they said, we need someone who's going to get on us if we're going to get over the hump and stay together because nothing is guaranteed. And like, I think if you listen to Tatum when he was on that Jason, you know, or JJ Reddick podcast, he said he like, he took that early success for granted. He thought like that was just what it was going to be. So it doesn't, I'm not ruling out that maybe they just wanted someone that was going to, you know, bust their ass and like they can respect it because it's like MJ was like, I would never ask someone to do something that I wasn't willing to do. Well, now when Ime tells you to do a certain thing, you can say, okay, like he's done it. I know that I can trust that it'll work in this situation, but I just think it's also a case of your best players are entering their prime. So like, obviously Udoka is going to look good as Jason Tatum turns into a top five player. Like sometimes it's just the talent doing what the talent does. But I do think there's something to be said about the players having like a young, he's like a cool dude too, you know, like their attitudes and personalities are just so different. And just, you know, I think that helps just on a, on a human level because you're dealing with people, you know, the Damon Stoudemire who's been on the bench, you know, in the league forever you have guys who, you know, are legends in like the old, you know, era of old NBA paddle hands. Yeah. So I just think that I think that helps. Um, it's working Azula. so far, but I also think the winning helps teams buy in. Right. Like everyone loved Brad when they were winning 50 games and were the one seed. Right. But it was when the losses started to come up. It's like, oh, is the system not working? Is it getting stale? I never thought that, but there's no denying that this new voice and new system has revitalized them because they're playing as well as we've ever seen them play. I think partly it was Brad seemed, I mean, Brad admitted like basically he was done too, you know, like that is not a good sign where after the season, your coach is like, I was pretty over that guy. (laughs) It's like, okay, I can see the cracks (laughs) then in that case, even though I was still a Brad guy. I mean, I still thought he was good until his last game he coached. But I do wonder how much of it is like, where they thinking about the next five years and everybody's sure. coming up for a new deal. They're going to be able to pick their own coach for the first time. Do we get that out of the way now so we don't have to worry about them leaving when their contract is up because they've picked their guy? So I think maybe that plays into it too. It's like, okay, Ainge is fired. He's stepping away. Whatever that whole situation is, we can keep Brad in the mix because everybody – agrees that Brad knows his shit, but we can get ahead of a potential issue by going to our franchise players and saying, pick your coach. Like you don't have to go, you don't have to go to the Lakers to pick your next coach. You can do that as a Boston Celtic. And that's right. who they chose. That's a nice point. You that's know, like, really, you don't think yeah. about, like the Lakers are going to fire Frank Vogel or like, mm-hmm. you know, someone is going to get fired in a potential big market or whatever. That's going to be a threat. So it's like, why not just say, you know, someone could say, oh, I've only played for the same coach my whole career. Like, I want to try something different. Well, you don't have to leave our franchise to do that. We can do that now and we can all enter our prime together. So that's low key. Pretty, pretty interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't totally looked at it from that perspective. But when you think about that, the timeline kind of makes a lot more sense then, too, because they because a lot of people were wondering, like, this feels like really rushed, really sudden. Like they already had this thing all lined up. But. If you think about it, that's the only way they could be first in line to look at all the available coaches going into that offseason. Like right. They have to have all that dust settled 
in order to have prime pick. Like they they got first dibs on all coaches. Yeah. Um, and so they got the exact guy that they wanted. That makes a lot more sense as far as a narrative as opposed to some of the other stuff that was floating well, I mean, around. I, well, I mean, I could just be making that entire thing up. I'm just trying yeah, to. But I, I like it. So we're going to stamp that shit. We're going to make it official. That's going to. Uh, yeah, so but I'm just like. Sources over at Barstool Sports uh, suggest that. But you just have to think of it logically, right? Like, it's not like Brad won 25 games and deserved to get fired. So the idea has to be, okay. It's obviously a situation around you want to keep your two best players happy because the ink just, you know, is just dry on Jason's extension. But like, why do people leave? People leave because they want to play with new friends or they want to play with, you know, for a new coach and a new style. Well, if you can bring in the coach that they want now and then as they enter their prime, you now have the space to add the friend that they want. You can check all those boxes and they don't have to leave. That's my only rational thought to why a successful coach uh, coming off a year where like he got killed by COVID and injuries is like suddenly leaving or quitting. Like that just doesn't, you just don't see that. I feel like well, clearly he was going to get fired. That's why. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Well, now <laughs> no he can't, now he, he can't fire himself. He I, can't, got I can't wait for that VH1 behind the, behind the basket. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love to, if that's really what it is, like, Mike Zarin probably came up with it because he's a fucking genius. But like, yeah. <laughs> I, just think, like I just think that would be so fascinating to see. I just want to know how that whole secession plan and everything, you know, what was the thinking behind it? Yeah, it's an all-time fly-on-the-wall Celtics moment for sure. Uh, you know, what you touched on there as far as appeasing the Jays is really calming for me as someone who is perpetually anxious about the Jays leaving one day. So thank you for that. It segues nicely into this question that we'll finish up with, which is, and this is more for me than, well, it's probably for the fan base a little bit as well, but what's your advice to fans on how to calm down and decompress after a brutal loss. Because for me, oh, I'm the worst person. I'm not over the Nick. Listen, I just got <laughs> over the RJ Barrett game winner. I just, I'm like, I, <laughs> I, am, I would never recommend anyone live uh, as I live. It is admittedly unhealthy <laughs> and not mentally safe. Um, I would say what you shouldn't do, what you shouldn't do is rewatch the game about four times. Um, then once you look over and it's like two 30 in the morning, uh, you go to Twitter and just look at your mentions and just, those are a dumpster fire. Just look at any, depending on how they lose. Um, because if it's another in the clutch game, you'll have to deal with the fact that they're just not clutch and can't win when it matters. Uh, that's always a fun one to deal with. Um, and then I would just say, you know, I always like to throw in, you know, the 08, some 08 footage usually gets me going, brings me down, yep. fire up some 2K, you know, give me some 2K wins under my belt. No, uh, did that, you see those yeah. ratings though? That's stressing people out right now. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a dynasty kind of guy. So like my dynasty is on four titles in a row. We're killing it. So like I'll, I'll hit up that for a little bit. Um, I don't know. I think just for a normal person, it probably won't bother you. After like a day, uh, for me, like even when I'm up the next day writing the blog, I'm still so pissed. Like I was so pissed today just thinking about how do you don't score for the last three minutes of a game and you're giving up, you know, nine points on just nothing but threes in the big moment. Like, I don't know. So for any normal person, I would just say like breathe and play some 2K. Uh, if you're like yep. me, like, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer because I clearly struggle with it. 
So Ben, we, we <laughs> we'll do have to come we, up we with something for you, a whole separate fan therapy and and really greedy. You should come back on. You and I should co-therapize people that are having a tough time dealing <laughs> with mean, the losses. And yeah, we're gonna TM therapize. That's because we're because we're not we're not doctors, so we're not giving medical advice. But you should I definitely do what we tell you to the do. Only, the only thing I tell myself is as down as I'm feeling right now, when they win, I'm going to be so insufferable that I'm taking this, like the mood swings. I mean, my life has been so incredible for the last two and a half months. I mean, you can't tell me anything right now. It's just like everything about my life is better. And, it, and like last yeah. night with standing, I mean, listen, from what we went through, couldn't win a fucking game to save our lives. You know, couldn't beat the Knicks. Yep. Like, now being a fully healthy Nets team with KD and Kyrie, like, listen, you have to you have to enjoy the roller coaster, but you have to know going into it, you're taking years off your life. Like, I just don't know. <laughs> it's the only way my brain knows how to process, like, what we're watching, I guess. <laughs> Especially with the way they lose this year. But I'm very glad we were debating asking you that question. Oh, and it's, I mean, listen, if did. you... If you are someone who is freaking out, find me. I'm here. I'm, out too. I'm open. You, you're up at night. It's 2.30 in the morning and you're staring at your ceiling. Me too. You know, like, you know that game where it's like, oh, if you look at the moon and I look at the moon. If we're both looking at our ceiling, I guarantee you we're connected. That's just how it is. Uh, yeah. I love uh, it. All right, Greedy. Well, that's uh, that's all the questions we got for you, man. We really, really appreciate oh, you jumping on. Um, and uh yeah we would tell the people where uh, they can find you and your work yeah every day parcel sports as always i'm very very appreciative it's it's surreal that people click on it or ask me to come on podcasts it's it's very crazy to me uh even still after all this time so you know i'm just appreciative uh, of everyone that that listens clicks all that good stuff uh even ones that tell me i suck and you know, I'm a green teamer, Kool-Aid drinker. Like, you're damn right. It's ice cold Kool-Aid and it is delicious. It's so, delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> All right. Yes. Thanks again, man. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to support the pod, subscribe, like, share, review, all that good stuff. Check out the YouTube channel if you're not here already. We'll be back on Friday with Spoonie's Celtics show. Until then, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.